Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war here soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows that because the civil war is, is over, doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Up, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty dollars or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snaphook Podcast. Tim Costello, Scott Barzilla coming to you on Tuesday of Thanksgiving week. Scott, a lot to be thankful for this year as as Houston sports fans and just people of this earth absolutely you know and, and it's it's a good week to be off work I know you've had to you know to sludge the nine to fiver but you know uh, for those of us in the teaching profession it's it's a good to have a week off man it is so demoralizing to have to like work when you look over and you see your significant other not working for the week and your kids are off and your daughter's in there, you know, with a cardboard pizza oven that you made for making fake pizzas. And I'm sitting here trying to focus on somebody's Google ads campaign, making sure it's, it's popping the way that it should. It's uh, it's been tough to focus this week. That's for sure. Yeah, it's been a rough week. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at my Rottweiler as, as we speak here and he, he wants something. And the, unfortunately uh, he is Janet's dog. I mean, first and foremost. And so, yeah, he's, he's not been happy. She's in France for Thanksgiving. Um, we we kind of had a joke of, you know, maybe she could stay over there and we could, you know, take advantage of some, uh, some chain migration, you know, action going on there. But, you know, we, we want to stay on the sports end, so I, I won't bring that up too much. You know, Jim, you know, you man's got the house to himself a little bit i i, I know you got uh, a tea time coming this week scott you know you getting out there with all this alone time you got yeah and i and i, I managed to finish off the bottle of crown royal i had so you I know mean, i get you know the time's not going to waste definitely not that's good that's good you're getting out at at magnolia creek on friday i'm assuming you're you're feigning uh membership interest as well yeah, we, we, my dad and I played this trick for years. We'd, we'd go in there, hey, we're looking at property and, you know, and see if we can get a free round. It actually worked a few times. Is it going to be free or are they hitting you with a guest fee? I don't know yet. And, and and I tried to get my brother-in-law to come along and unfortunately he can't go. So I, I'm going to be solo golfing it. But, you know, hey, man's got to do what a man's got to do. 
uh, yeah, I'm playing Friday morning myself, and then Sunday morning, we, you know, my group normally plays at like 930, uh, try to get as close to nine as we can, um, but we've noticed lately the men's group that they have out there is awful, Scott, absolutely awful, and they're one of those people that like everybody drives to everybody's shot. Because you have to see everybody hit because there's money on the line. And God forbid you trust the people that you've been playing with for 20 fucking years. So we made the decision this week. We played at 730. And we get out in front of that men's group. And it was phenomenal. Three and a half hours. No pressure to, you know, no one behind us. No one ahead of us. Set their own pace out there. That's our move going forward. We're going to be 730 golfers now, Scott. Yeah, so this, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm running into the members on Friday, and so he's got me teeing off a little bit after noon. And so, you know, I, but by myself, if I'm truly by myself and he doesn't pair me up with somebody. I oh, you'll get, get paired. Oh, I'll get paired I'll, with somebody. Yeah, I, I could get in around at three hours. Easy. Oh, when I would, um, okay, so pre-COVID, I played by myself a lot uh, at this public course in Grand Prairie. Um, you might've actually played it in your Fort Worth days called Prairie Lakes. I don't know if you ever made it out there. I don't think I made it out to there. No. Uh, it's a, honestly, it is a darling of a, a municipal course, but it was city owned. And because our baseball stadium was city owned, I, you know, I got to know the head pro and, and basically this guy would let me play for free whenever I wanted. And before golf got crazy out there and, you know, it was backed up and possible to get tea time. I could play with myself, tee off and play golf in two and a half hours and it was you know not everybody can do it because you you can't lose a lot of balls you gotta hit a lot of greens you gotta be able to um play well but yeah to be able to get out there especially when it's as hot as it is i don't always want to be out there for four four and a half hours if i could fly around if i could play in you know with now realistically even now three and a half hours uh with a foursome which is what we did uh, this week, like you can't complain. And, and I know my wife appreciates me being back home in three and a half hours versus four and a half, sometimes five when we play in the later in the morning. My dad and I used to do that. We, we, we specialized. I mean, we are both, you know, get to the ball, hit ball. And so we played many a run under three hours, even walking. Um, you but, know, question, yeah. question for you. Have you found that as your father is aged, is he still, maintain that same desire to hold pace or has has he slowed down a bit because i've i've noticed my dad who was the one who taught me how to keep your eye on the ball taught me how to maintain pace all that stuff has now become the guy that we all get frustrated with who takes forever out there no 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 we're fast no we're um i mean obviously he doesn't walk as fast he doesn't move as quickly but you know when we get to the ball we both practice the same hole. The more longer I'm standing over the ball, the more I'm going to fuck it up. I'm with you on that. I don't. Do you take a practice swing? Sometimes, sometimes, mm-hmm. but usually with the driver, I don't. I don't take one with any club. Like with a chip, I'll just like try and skim the ground so I can get the feeling I want. But I don't ever take a practice swing or a practice stroke on the putting green. Like no, I zone it, I feel it, and I go. And then you've got my dad, who's like Brian freaking Harmon out there. And, um, yeah, like I, sometimes when I bring them out with the group. Like I, I get these cross-eyed looks of like, Hey, what's, what's going on here, Tim? You're the fastest player I know. And, and, uh, your dad is not like, I literally was almost lit, uh, late to my wedding because of, because of how slow my dad played, uh, on my wedding day. And we teed off at like seven fifty in the morning, had to be at the hotel at like three. 
And that dude, because he was a combination of hungover and still drunk from the night before, had us play a five-hour round at 7.50 in the morning. Well, that's, you know, actually, that's my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law, he, he takes, you know, especially putting. Like, he'll do this thing where he used to have a zebra putter. I don't know if you remember those. And so he would sit there and... They're coming back. They brought zebra back. He'd set the putter down and kind of line it up and, you know, and kind of just stand it there and then kind of twirl around, you know, and, and, and it, this ritual will take, you know, take a long time. He's getting better though. I mean, he's actually a better golfer than I am now. Uh, cause he, he just retired. And so, you know, he's playing more regularly than, you know, than any of us are, but, um, yeah, it, playing with slow golfers is just the worst, absolute worst. My brother's in that slow category too, and I think he's the kind of slow golfer that is what clogs up a golf course. My dad is just your average hacker, and I think part of the reason he's slow is how many balls he loses. My brother is the guy who is a 10 handicap. He can shoot in the 80s, can shoot in the 70s if things go his way, but he doesn't ever have a club in mind until he gets to his ball. He will walk off the green and then order five drinks from the cart girl and sit there and wait instead of order them, then go to the green, come back and get them. Those are the little things like that, that that clog up a course that a lot of golfers do. I'm not saying it's just him, but a lot of golfers will literally not even, you know, think about what club they're going to hit until literally everybody else hits. Then it's their turn. Then they start pulling out the, uh, the range finder and all that stuff, trying to figure it out. And, um, yeah, I don't even. I don't know. It's I. I don't use a rangefinder. I don't want too much yardage data. I. I still go back to the days when I played high school golf. They. They weren't available for you in high school golf, but when I played, they were not allowed, and you had to walk that shit off. Right? You went to the one fifty stake, and you knew how you knew your stride, what a yard was, and you walked it off to your ball. And that's how I still like to play golf, Scott. Yeah, I don't buy rangefinders. I, I guess I, I use a, a app on the iPhone. Uh, I do too. But but the thing is, is like you, you're talking about your brother. Um, so I'm guessing you see one of those that's 270 out on a par five and is thinking, absolutely, you know, I, I hit a 270 yard three wood maybe 15 years ago, and I think I could do it again. Absolutely. But I mean, I wait too. But I feel like I like from 270, I am going to get it close to the green. Cameron could get it close to the green. He could, but. right? Well, there's there's obviously that spot where every golfer is different. Like for me, anything over two ten, I mean, I might as well go for the green. But you know, you're obviously a different level of golfer. But every, there's got to be a spot where you know I, there's no way in hell I'm getting there. And and I hate for people. me, it's three hundred. Like if I'm three hundred out. Because even if I'm like 285, it's not even that I'm hit, I'm going to hit the green. I don't want to be a dick. I don't want to be that guy who's rolling one up 10 yards off the green, and they're like, oh, this guy's an asshole. Like, there's no point. There's really we no bought, point in it. We bought my dad a seven wood years ago, and this has got to be the – oh, man, we're, talk, we're talking hey, 20 people, years ago. People swear by their no, seven woods. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. This is, this is a great story. So he is about 180 out. And, and – you know, seven wood has got to be what equivalent to what about a six iron, five iron? No, it's more like a four or five iron. So he 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 may have been two hundred out, 
because it, it and so normally he'd hit you know his five iron about maybe 170 and so we're playing out of south shore and so from 200 out he's like i'm just gonna lay up with my seven wood the son of a gun rolls it onto the green with these women you know putting out and so for years on he hasn't used that club in years but we still call it his lady killer but you know, but they call it the Heavenwood, and you're 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 calling it that for another reason, right? Exactly. No, yeah. Well, and here's the thing, though. The point is, is that if you're if you're a golfer of any ability, that you you know how far you hit your clubs, and so you should know, hey, I can hit this green, or you know what, I really shouldn't hit right now. I should wait for the green to clear, or I shouldn't go for this green at all. You know, whatever the case may be. And so I know my clubs, I know I've played enough golf. I've been playing golf for damn over 40 years. So I know, you know, as I'm riding in the cart, I know what I want to do with the next shot. And some people would sit there and say, Hey, you need to take a little bit of time, you know, to think about it. And they might be right in some instances, but I think, Hey, I know what I'm doing even before I get there. Yeah. I have a general idea. Cause also I have a, I'm going to have a plan of attack for every hole on my golf course because I play the same course every week. I know what it is. I know that when I choose to hit three iron, I'm going to have about 150 left on this hole. Okay, is it going to be a low 150 or am I going to throw it high? That's pretty much the only decision I have to make when I get there. So, um, yeah, it's it's there's a skill level thing that goes into it, but there's also just an awareness aspect to it. There's a, a ready golf. You know, the group that I play with, we don't care who's out. If you're at the ball and no one's hitting, go ahead and hit. We don't wait for people. Um, and we like to have a good time. You know, we don't take things too seriously. I'm the I'm realistically the only you would call good golfer in our group. Everybody else is out there to to have a good time with their friends and and to uh, you know, get some some male bonding time in, as they say. We also have flags. We ha- we we fly flags off the back of our cart, Scott, just to just cause. You know, what? Uh, we actually had a game that I think y- y'all would be interested in. Uh, it's called Animal Golf. And I, and I don't know if, you, uh, if you've heard of this, but you, I think you can look it up on the, on the Internet. Uh, but basically, the whole idea is you get bag tags, and there are bag tag, and you get an animal. To, you know, there's positive animals and there's negative animals. Like if you roll in a birdie putt over 10 feet or something like that, you get a snake. That's a positive animal. You hit it OB, that's a gorilla. That's a bad animal. And so the whole idea is whoever's holding these animals at the end of the day either gets money or pays out money. You know, and usually the way it works is that the people holding the negative back tags are paying out money to the people holding the positive back tags. And it's just whoever the last person is in the round to do it. So, like, if I hit it OB. So here I'll- we go. I've got it right here. The gorilla for any errant shot that lands out of bounds. The turtle for the miss hit shot that lands short of the ladies' tees. The oh, duck, yeah. the massive hook or slice that winds up with your ball on the wrong hole. The frog for hitting your ball in the water. The armadillo when your golf ball bounces or ricochets off a cart path, rock, or solid other object. The woodpecker or solid loud hit into a tree, someone's house, fence, or other wooden object. The alligator, an unplayable lie. The camel, for any shot that comes to rest in a sand trap. The gopher, a lost ball, 
for anywhere out of bounds, anywhere in bounds other than a water hazard. The chicken for making that great putt that's tracking the hole perfectly, but you leave it just short. The skunk for three putting or worse. I'm sorry, the snake is for three putting or worse. And the skunk is for excessive strokes, triple bogey or higher, bad hole. It's, well, that, possible, that, to, it's possible to commit two or more errors resulting uh, on the same strokes. You can get more than one card per hole. Okay, now here's the thing. That, there were those way more animals than what we had what we had going on. But the whole general idea is if I hit it OB on 12, but you hit it OB on 17, the bag tag's yours. Right. And so uh, whoever's it, holding it last. That's right. Um, it was introduced in the 90s. Uh, it yeah. Used to cost, it used to cost 20 bucks. It represented four basic hazards associated with golf. Out of bounds, water, sand, yeah, and putting. Pretty much, yeah. And, and they've added some, obviously, since then. Now, now the one I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to do the same concept, but with politics or history. Like, if you got a Sandy, and you, you know what I'm talking about with a Sandy, right? In golf or in yeah, politics? In, in golf. Okay, yeah. Uh, that's a Desert Fox. It's a, it's a Edward Rommel. Um, and then uh, my favorite is the, the Ava Braun. Do you know what the Ava Braun is? That's the bunker? Two in the or bunker. You, two in the bunker. <laughs> so you, you play it and you can't get out of the bunker, you got a Nava Braun. Um, when you hit one way out of when you hit one when you're way out of bounds, is that a Nixon? Well, no, it would have to depend on, you know, where out of bounds left or right. You know, you'd have to be like a Stalin or a um or a Mal or, you know, on the right you'd have to be like uh maybe a Pat Buchanan or um well, shoot these days, you know. Nixon's yeah. a pretty good one for out of bounds. He literally would wake up, tell people to nuke the shit out of a country, then go back to sleep, and then not even like ever mention it to his staffers the next day. And they're like, hey, should we Nixon, do that? And they're like, no. Nixon's the guy, Nixon's the one you give to the guy who you catch shaving strokes. Mm. That, that's, what, that's what I, you know, because. Trump's the guy you, that you don't catch. Well, did you, did I, uh, did I tell you about, I told you about that one round that I was pl- played in district with the guy from Creek and, um, I was playing it. We we're playing at Galveston country club and I don't know if you've ever played out there. Oh, I hate that. I hate that golf course. It was, it, it was kind of a cow pasture, but country uh, clubs, a country club is a stretch for those of you who've never played out there. Well, so we started off on 10 and 10 is like this short really nothing par four except it has out of bounds left. And I mean, I want to say it was like 350. It was like, it was nothing. And so the guy, you know, playing for Gov Creek and he's sitting there dribbles at about 10 feet in front of the tee box would have gotten that one where he didn't make it to the uh, ladies tees. He would have gotten the bag tag on that shot, uh, hooks it out of bounds. So there's another bag tag. Uh, and then, you know, plays it. And, and we're just, you know, we're matriculating as, as, uh, as they would say in football, we're matriculating up the fairway, you know, just, just, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there gets to the green, he chips it across the green, you know, chips it on the green, three putts. And, you know, I ask him what he got and he's five. And I was like, up seven, keep going, dude. Eight. <laughs> <laughs> he got like a 12 and this is back in the days when we had to, we had to hole out every shot. We didn't get double par. So I think I ended up giving him nine or a 10 on the hole. And every damn hole was like that. It was a damn negotiation. Oh, I had a par. <laughs> no, you didn't dude. Okay. Double. <laughs> I mean, come on. 
I think he shot like a 135 and it was really like a 160. But, you know, what what was Creek going to win with a 135? I played on Sunday and I uh, I tapped in for, for par on 18. I shot 74. And my, my buddy is like way across the green. And he goes, yeah, if I two putt from here, it's an 89. I turn, I'm like, the fuck it is? And he goes, oh, well, like, if you don't count any of the mulligans that I took out. <laughs> we, we, I'm like, hey, and you know what, Mike? I'll attest that score on the grint for you if you really want me to, because all it does is hurt you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, well, you know, what's funny, though, is you mentioned 89. My dad has a painting that uh, he actually had a coworker when he was teaching that would paint on the side. And so, you see this guy walking in with his clubs and flowers dropping on him everywhere like roses. And you see his wife, Chino, Chino, you broke 90. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was just awesome. But, uh, and, and I, you know, I used to think, you know, that's pathetic, you know, back when I was in high school. But now it's like, yeah, breaking 90. That sounds like a pretty good thing. I, to me, like that 89 line is is the line of like you're you're a legitimate golfer, right? Like if you can get into the eighties, um, you know, I, I I call you a real golfer nowadays. Like if you if you're out there consistently and you can't break ninety, there's a problem, right? Like the guy who goes out once a month and hacks it around, okay, whatever. But if you play once a week and you can't break ninety, I think that's when it's time to look yourself in the mirror and say, is this a me problem? And the answer is probably yes. Oh, it's what we call it's what we call a loft problem, Tim. Lack of fucking uh, what is the last one? Talent. talent, talent, yeah. Lack of fucking talent. Um, although, I mean, I can't attest to the fact that equipment does make a huge difference. Oh, for um, sure. And, and you know, and and that's and it's a big deal. And, and it's not only just throwing a bunch of you know a bunch of Benjamins at at the problem, but really getting the equipment that matches your game. I think is, is the important thing. Um, because I, I know people who've, you know, have thrown, you know, upwards of $2,000 at a set of clubs, which you can easily do. Um, because I was looking at the putters, we went to golf galaxy and, you know, I wanted, and uh, my dad wanted me to look at putters before he bought um, the putter for my birthday. And I think there was an Italian brand. Um, is it was, Peretti? No, it started with a B. Betnardi? Uh, yeah, Betnardi. That's not an Italian brand, but... Well, it's an Italian name. It's um, made in Chicago. But it was, he's, a, uh, he's a big supporter of the Donald Trump campaign. Well, that's a good thing I didn't get that putter then. I have several uh, of them. If I'm honest, I've a, had several Bettys. It's it's a three, $350 putter. Yeah. Uh, and They're so up there with Scotty Cameron as far as, like, brand-wise. Although, although I was telling my dad this, you think about this. What club in your bag do you use the most? It's the putter. If you're going to spend big money on one club, the putter is the one that absolutely makes the most sense to spend it on. Because realistically, Scott, if you're realist, if you're realist with yourself, you're not buying that many putters. And if you love a putter, it's going to stay in your bag for 20 years. There's not really a, a scenario where a guy who plays a lot of golf is going to keep the same driver in his bag for 20 years. And that okay. driver is $500 nowadays. So you know what? Spend the money. If you're going to spend big money and buy a brand new club, the putter's the one to do it on. Well, that and you're hitting a driver 14 times. You know, and you're hitting a putter, you hope, 
you know, about 30 or less. Some of us sometimes hit a little bit more, but then that's kind of the whole deal, right? You know, if you're putting it 36 times, you know, because you're consistently missing five footers, you know, that's, that's, you know, five, six strokes, you're costing yourself in a round versus a driver, you know, how, you know, the difference between, let's say, a great driver and a good driver. I mean, how many shots are you talking in a round of golf? Do you mean as a person or a club? No, like, like, a, like someone's a great driver of the ball. Versus no, no, a good driver no, of the ball? no. I'm talking about the club itself. Like, if I hand you a good driver, and then I hand you a great driver, you know, yeah, say I, mean, I feel say like if you give me let's call the great driver the one in my bag right now, right, where I've got it custom fit to me, where I hit. Uh, this week I hit 13 or 14 fairways or you give me, let's say, uh, my buddy Rogers driver, which is just a stock PXG stiff flex driver, right? Nothing customized about it. I might not hit as many fairways. I might not get as much distance, but I think I, after the second or third hole, I'd figure out how to swing it and I'd be okay. Versus if you gave me your putter, the cheating putter that it is that allows you to anchor i do not anchor that sucker you you anchor if you gave me the fucking grooms if you, <laughs> you gave haven't me the, seen you haven't seen me play golf you don't if know you if gave I me if you gave me your janitor's broom of a putter i i would not be able to figure that out for 18 no months, what right? I, what like, I, i'd have 50 fucking putts out there now what i want and what i asked for and i don't think i'm gonna get it because i don't know my dad just doesn't i mean he should get the reference but he doesn't is i want to keep the long John putter in the bag. Cause I'm only carrying 10 clubs right now. So to get that new putter, but get a long John sock to put over it. Just so on the 18th hole, I can say Spalding. This calls for the old Billy Baru. <laughs> I mean, cause you, you remember that thing was covered. He had that whole putter like covered with a sock. I mean, it was just, it, it was spectacular. And he made the putt. I mean, the Billy he Brewer did. He worked. did. No, he did make the putt. He absolutely did. Uh, I guess my question is, though, are you committing to to leaving your cheating ways and and putting like the rest of us, or or are you like literally going to like carry two putters, like one for short putts and one for long putts? I'm going to carry two putters, and I'm just going to putt whichever. I'm going to play the hot hand, Tim. I, I do not anchor that sucker. And the fact, and what what it killed me in the last round was that I was still, even with the long john putter, I was still moving my wrist way too much. Um, and so it, it's just, uh, I, I've experimented with a number of different grips, um, you know, with the hands and the you know grips on the putter and just difficult to find something that works, but okay, you know, Scott, we got good news and bad news here for you. Do you want the, do you want the good news first? I'll go bad news first. Ooh, I'm prepared to give you the good news first. All right. I found the sock. Okay, awesome. The bad news is it's forty nine it's forty four ninety nine for one club length purple sock. Okay. Well we'll have to we'll have to put that on the Christmas list, you know, and hopefully that that'll do that. Um but anyways, all right. So, you know, we've we've kind of gone, you know, golf heavy here in the first half hour or so. Uh and and I, and I know we we probably have a lot of things going on. You have know, the Rockets just finishing up a West Coast uh, swing. We've got a uh, disappointing West Coast swing. 
we have the Texans, you know, with a, I don't know how the hell they did it, but they did it on Sunday. That was a wonderful, that was a wonderful game because for the last two weeks previously, it'd be, it's been CJ Stroud bailing out bad defensive performances uh, or bad clutch defense. And, and this week it was kind of the other way around, right? It was the defense continuously bailing out CJ Stroud from off the back foot floating throws that he doesn't normally make. I think he might've been concussed. Uh, that's possible. That's possible because really, uh, he took a shot on that one that David Davis Mills came in for, and yeah, then three, uh, he really changed after that. All three picks came in after the yeah after that play. That's true. Um, I hope he I hope he wasn't for his personal for his personal health. Well, no, wait, did one of the safety. picks one of the picks came in the first half, didn't it? Yeah, that was the one yeah, where he got truth. suckered into it by the uh, the linebacker the, undercut that. That's what they called the heat check. You know, that yeah. he was, you know, that he was hot. I think really, if you look at it, if you look at those three plays, I think, you know, obviously the first interception was on CJ. Yeah, um, he, he, the, he didn't see the linebacker coming underneath. The or second safe, one. Safety, whatever. The second one's on Woods. I mean, you, you got you to gotta come yeah. down with that ball. Correct and him then, in the and, hands. And then the third one on the sideline, I think, was a great defensive play, but it's also a ball that shouldn't be thrown. And that's it should one, have been thrown, and it was thrown with bad footwork off his back foot without stepping into it, and that's why it floated instead of having the zip that he wanted on it. But that's where you need to know game situations. Um, and this is, goes back to the Bengals game. You know, when you, when you made those, the, those, you know, that one interception that was bad at the end of the game, that's where you need to know, hey, if I eat this ball, what's the worst that's going to happen? We're going to punt. We're going to make them go run the, the whole length of the field and score twice. How likely is that to happen? And then when you get the ball back, and then you're sitting there going down the sideline on third down, you know, on a low percentage throw, that's not the time for that throw. And I think the same thing happened to him this week. You know, the interception, the last interception in particular, you – you know, you eat the ball, you throw it, you hit a popcorn vendor. I, I don't know what you do with it, but you get a field goal and you got an eight-point lead at that point. You know, that that's what you do. And, you know, if they do nothing else but, you know, get like two or three field goals in, the, in those five different possessions. Now, the ones I want to talk about is what in the hell? You've got fourth and two. What possesses you to sit there and say, let's pitch it to Mike Boone? Where the fuck is that coming from? Yeah, I sorry about that, Scott. Yeah. As soon as they as soon as they did it, I was like, what the fuck was that? That was terrible. Because this was this was the first Texans game since opening day that I've been able to sit and watch the whole game. Because also part of the reason I'm enjoying playing at 7.30 again now is because I'm back in time to watch the Texans. I, you know, when I tee off at 8.30 or 9.30, I'm missing first quarter and a half of the game. And and when we sucked, I didn't care. But now it's just like, you know what? I'd like to watch the game. So I, I sat there and watched that whole game. I'm in the whole flow of it. And the moment they did that, I was like, what the, what the fuck was that? What is it? You had a running back in Singletary who's done a phenomenal job of being patient waiting for the hole to open up and just, you know, getting a little bit of a crease. You've got a quarterback who does a great job of going through his progressions and is athletic. So we could have either, I don't know why the Texans don't do it at all, quarterback sneak it, which if you listen to the 
New Heights podcast has a 92% success rate of quarterback sneaks. As or, uh, Jason, Jason Kelsey will tell you. Well, two yards might be a little bit long for that, but an RPO makes all RPO the sense. RPO would have been good. Or even a, a hard play action with a boot with a boot to his right where he has one option where he can either throw it or tuck it and go. Anything, right. anything right. Well, would have po- been better than that play call. Well, the point is, is that after 10 games, even after three picks, we know one thing, and that is C.J. Stroud is the best offensive player on this team. You got to have the ball, and, and the same thing is when when you're handing it off to uh, handing it off to your fullback on a third. That was and one, questionable. That was questionable too. Third and one. What are you doing? Why why are we handing the ball off? You know, if, if Singletary is your feature back moving going forward, which I think he should be. Yep. You got to include your best football players on those crucial plays. I mean that that's that's what the, is all about. I mean, you look at this team. And really, wide receiver wise, and you know, and if you want to include Dalton Schultz as a wide receiver esque kind of player, the the strength of this team is that there's no one dominant player, you know. But it's Stroud, you know, really, you know, getting finding the open man and taking advantage, and you know, Tank Dell, you know, all five five of them being a man among boys. I mean, that guy, that touchdown at the end of the first half. I mean that just that the throw, you know, to the throw to, was you know, wonderful to get it over a defensive back, and in the and he had pressure coming in his face. He couldn't step into it and follow through the way that he normally would. Yeah, I mean that. So to me, moving forward and and, and going this week, and I've been, you know, you look at the data, everything points to the passing game has to be featured this week. Everything. The Jacksonville Jaguars are third in the NFL in rushing yards allowed uh, with the third fewest. They're 27th in passing yards allowed. Now, they do they have 11 picks. So, you know, that's something you have to kind of look for. But, you know, the thing is, is that if you block up Josh Allen, I don't know who else is really getting to the quarterback on that team. And, and I don't know. They've got one good corner, uh, Darius Williams. Outside of him... Who's you know? Who do you want to leave open one on one on this team? Particularly if we're able to get, uh, I mean, if we're able to get everybody back. Yeah, healthy. if we can get Noah Brown back because that's yeah, that was you, missing for this offense last week too, Scott. But who, if you have him and Tank on the field at the same time, that's a lot of explosion. Well, that and and Nico Collins because Nico, Nico Collins too. was he wasn't there whenever Noah Brown and 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 Tank Dale were going off against the Bucks. Uh. So, who do you leave one on one? I mean, that's that's the really the big problem. If I'm facing this defense, is that I, I have a feeling that the running game is not really going much anywhere. The Bengals are terrible against the run. The Cardinals are not much better. So yeah, we gained over 100 yards, but when we start playing big boy teams, I, I think that running game is going away. But you're a defensive coordinator, Tim. Who do you decide to leave open one-on-one? I mean, I I don't know, Scott. I mean, it's Dalton Schultz probably is one of them. Is the one that scares me the least. Are least, you covering right? him with a linebacker? I mean, that's, that's I probably rough. have like a safety one-on-one with Dalton Schultz. 
but you pull uh, safety up, you pull safety up and that's one fewer safety, you know, to leave back. And so if you, you know, you're, you're throwing out Nico and tank Dell. You know, I mean, on, that's, on but that's what you want. Like, well, let's look at what I consider, in my opinion, the best receiving core in the league is the Eagles where you've got AJ yeah. Brown, you've got Devonte Smith, You've got right now. You've got uh, Julio Jones there, and then when healthy, Dallas Goddard too, right? Like you can't double everybody. And I'm not. I'm not going to say the Texans are at that level, but what you're hoping to have is a team that is full of explosive players. That it is, you know, Bill O'Brien used to say this, and it, at the time I was excited for it because Kubiak would do the same shit every week. But when, when O'Brien got hired, he said, you know, we're, we're going to be. We're going to focus on matchups. We're going to be matchup based, and it never, it never actually became that. But like that's what the Texans can do. If there is somebody who is weak that game, CJ Stroud will pick them, pick them apart, and let them rip. But you know what? Like it doesn't have to be the same guy every week. Noah Brown was a mismatch for two weeks. Noah Brown went off this week. Tank Dell was a mismatch. Tank Dell went off. Like it doesn't matter who it is because I think you've got a team without a lot of ego but a lot of raw talent. I mean, at this point, Robert Woods is the worst receiver on the field. Well, I'll tell you what, and what I watched, I don't know if you watched Monday Night Football this week. I, um, I watched some. I, I couldn't take much more of it. So let me tell you, after watching that, and and this is what, you know, it, it teaches you to appreciate the Texans wide receivers. Because we talked about, you know, that Tankville play in the end zone. That's a great throw, but Tankdale drops it, can't come down with it. It's an incomplete pass. At the end of that game, Patrick Mahomes hits, and I can't even remember the name of their receivers. I don't know what the fuck their names are. That was Valdez Scantling. He dropped that one. But that was right in the breadbasket. Perfect throw. The only place it could be, and he can't come down with it. They and they, they sat up and I and I don't know if this was true before the game or after. At that point, they said that uh, wide receivers had twenty six drops this year for the Chiefs, and you could see. And, and Mahomes knows that you can't show too much emotion whenever somebody you know fucks up on your team, but you could tell he was exasperated. He was just like. What the fuck do you want me to do? And then the fourth down play after that. I don't know if you saw that play. But they're, I didn't they're, see that one, no. So they're fourth and 25. And the other guy, the other receiver they have. Um, Tony? Uh, no, it was a third guy. who targeted Sky, Sky Moore? Yeah, Rice? I think it was Moore. Okay. Moore runs down two yards past the line. This is fourth and 25. Two yards past the line of scrimmage or two yards past? Past past the first down marker. Okay. Mahomes delivers a perfect bomb right here, right to his helmet. Drops it. And you're just like, what? what, Of course, that's like that part of that is defense where you're like, how in the hell is this guy open on a fourth and 25 past the first down marker? But the other part is like Mahomes put it right where you want it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what are you going to do? And at what point, too, Scott? Like the the Chiefs, they let Hill go, right? You let Hill walk because you didn't want to pay him. You've got the best quarterback 
in the NFL. So it, it could go down as the best of all time. He might be the most, we could at least say one of the most gifted quarterbacks of all time with the things that Mahomes is able to do on the field. And that guy doesn't have a dominant number one wide receiver. And he's never had a big wide receiver on the outside who goes up and gets it right. You had Tyree Kill, and then he has Kelsey. But you kind of look what happens with with Packer, with the Packers, with Aaron Rodgers, where they did not draft a wide receiver in the first round the entire time that he was there. Um, at what point, if you're if you're Patrick Mahomes, do you say like, "Yo, man, go get me receivers"? Because right now, Scott, this kind of reminds me of um, the year where Jabbar Gaffney was the best wide receiver on the Patriots, and then the very next year they go and trade for Randy Moss with the Raiders, and Tom Brady just fucking wrecks shop on the whole league. Like, could you imagine if? If the if the if the Chiefs somehow go and trade for like I'm just gonna throw like a DJ Metcalf is now a is now a a, a Chief and and that's who Patrick Mahomes can just throw shit up for a DJ Metcalf like that's that's the well, equivalent right like I'd love to see him get so pissed that he puts pressure on the ownership and say go get me a fucking stud. What got me was and, and to me you don't need Randy Moss. You just need a guy to catch the fucking ball. I mean, that's the, but it'd be fun to have Randy. Well, it would be sure. I would love Randy Moss in his prime, absolutely. But you know, the thing is, is that you know, when you look at a, a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, and you look at you know like C.J. Stroud, what we're finding out, Noah Brown's not special. He wasn't a high draft pick, but he's got like a PFF score like eighty-seven, which is ridiculously high. He's he's the highest rated receiver on the Texans right now. Um, Tank Dell's a third round pick. I mean, he's, I I mean, he's got special traits, but the NFL did not consider him special enough to take in the first round. Nico Collins. Tim Tim Costello considered him special in in his coverage though. Well, sure. And because you're a U of H fan and. No, no, um, it's because I'm an elite eye for talent. Unlike those guys on ESPN. Okay. I just had access to him as a UH fan. But Nico Collins is a guy that we saw some nice traits in, but nobody thought this guy's, you know, this guy's special. But C.J. Stroud is making them look special. And the only thing that was responsible on their end is when he delivers the football to you, you catch it. That That's, that, that's it. That's their responsibility. And to me, malpractice is whenever you've got DeAndre Hopkins out there in free agency, and he's, you're actually one of the teams he's considering. What we know about DeAndre Hopkins is he he's not a guy that gets separation. He's a guy that catches the football. And that's still true this year, whether it's Will Levis or um, whoever over there, Malik Willis or, um, I don't know, uh, Jabari Jones or, you know, Fred, the popcorn man is throwing them the football. I, you know, who knows? He's still catching it. He's still catching touchdown passes because he's DeAndre fucking Hopkins. Yeah, and the stuff about him not like wanting to practice, that was bullshit. Um, that was disappointing. I agree with you. Because could you imagine if if you had Hopkins? But then well, – I'm talking I about the Chiefs. Worry. I'm talking about the oh, Chiefs. Oh, yeah. Well, the Chiefs, the Chiefs missed big time. The no, Chiefs that's missed mal- big time. That's malpractice. Like Houston, I could sit there and see like, okay, we want to see these guys develop. But the Chiefs, it's like you're a wide receiver away. You know, and they you know. offered him peanuts. They offered him like two million bucks, man. Like at some point, uh, and that's why I think Mahomes is is gonna throw a fucking tantrum this year if they don't win the Super Bowl because his receivers have let him down, 
right? Like you talk about the amount of drops that that team has had. Uh, I, I would be maybe very scared for the offseason for the Chiefs if they go get a big-name wide receiver that could actually come in and just, just dominate because well, it would be crazy. Well, and you look at what Mahomes' contract, and I think they reworked it. But, I mean, to me, he's a $60 million quarterback if there was one, and he's not demanding that. So, you know, and you, you could look at the difference between him and say, you know, what we lovingly call massage boy, um, getting his 200 plus million guaranteed. And it, that's like a Twilight Zone episode. Can you set this up back in the 1960s. Deshaun Watson wishes for to play with a great defense and a winning team. And he gets it and he's on IR. I mean, it's, it's just like, it, it's... It's the one, remember the one where the guy just wanted to be left alone with his books? All he oh, wanted to yes. Do was, all he wanted to do was read, and then, like, everybody in the world gets nuked but him, and then he steps on his glasses so he can't read any of the books that he's left alone with. Well, you know who that was? That was Burgess Meredith. Oh, okay. That was... Uh, Mickey. That was, that was the Mickey. Penguin, the Penguin, Mickey as well. Yeah, Mickey. The, the yeah. original Penguin from the TV show. Oh, sure. Yeah, and, and Mickey, you know, for, for Rocky. Yeah, everybody knows that. <laughs> Um, but you know, yeah, so uh, that's for, for me, the chiefs are the ones that blew it on Deandre Hopkins. I mean, and, and Deandre Hopkins really has to look at, you know, I think at the end of this contract, maybe he'll be ready, uh, to, you know, to go to a place where he can get his ring. He's not getting it in Tennessee. He had to know that, oh. but I think for some reason, Scott, people thought Tennessee would be good. And I don't get it. I think we saw last year at the end of the year what Tennessee is. I think they got they got hot a little bit with Tannehill and Derrick Henry when the Texans were down. And at the end of the day, if we want to be realistic, as, as frustrating as the last two years were for the Texans, when the Texans are a well-run organization, the AFC South has traditionally been the Texans to win or the Texans to lose since like 2010. If you go back and look at it, when the Texans have a good quarterback, they tend to win the division. Yeah, when you especially when you consider the fact that um, spe- when you go back to the Andrew Luck days, you know, and, and the Peyton Manning days, the, the Colts were the main competition. Um, and I, I think the Colts, on balance, have been, you know, the, the Texans' biggest competition in, in the division. It hadn't been the Jaguars. No, the Jaguars had had two good years in this entire time. One with Blake Bortles, and then they they paid him, and that was a disaster. And last year was the first year where you thought maybe Trevor Lawrence has some promise, but I, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is that good. Like if you if you were to tell me right now, you could have Trevor Lawrence with C.J. Stroud taking C.J. ten out of ten and twice. Oh on Sunday. no, yeah, no, you take the burden of hand. I mean, I, I think but the we big... know what we know what they both are, right? We well, know who both these guys are as quarterbacks at this point. Well, I think, and, and what we've learned this year, I think more than anything, is that so much of the NFL is not just about the skills of the quarterback. It's about the quarterback and the play caller together. I mean, physically, would you take Brock Purdy? I mean, how many quarterbacks would you take for Brock Purdy just based on physical talent? Probably a lot, man, but... Also, Brock Purdy is 
got more weapons on offense than anybody else in the NFL. Well, sure, but that's the whole point is that you can And cannot... if you look at the games where Brock Purdy had players missing, he couldn't go make the plays needed to get guys open. But when he's got CMC, Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo Samuels all on the field at the same time, let's, it's like the scenario you said to us. You can't double-team everybody, and you count on one of your athletes to go make a play. Yeah. And, as a, and you're a point guard at that point. You're you're a pass-first point guard. You're not a playmaker. You're John Stockton. The question is, and, and uh, the Jaguars reporter, um, I do five questions every week, um, and I do it with the opposing teams, uh, basically their, their version of me. And so the question he asked me was, how many quarterbacks would I take right now over Stroud? And I think Mahomes is a definite. Um, and I think, you know, Burrow. No, I don't, I don't know. But see, the thing is, is that so much of that is injuries. Well, so much of that is who's calling the plays. Because to me, I'd, I'd think long and hard about Justin Herbert and Josh Allen in terms of physical talent. If you allow me to pick the play caller. Because the problem is, I think those guys are in horrible situations in terms of play callers, uh, particularly the Chargers. I think, you know, Brandon Staley yeah. is, is dead man walking um, and, and they need they need to bring in somebody there who can actually look at, you know, both the offense and defense and go like, damn, look at all the talent in this room. You know, you have to be an idiot to mess this up, which they got um, Josh Allen. You know, you saw it this last week, just when they had, you know, Joe Brady calling plays for the first time. They were better. I don't know if they were good because, you know, their opponent wasn't good. So to me, you know, so much of it is about you got to look at the physical talents, but you also got to look at what talent is around the quarterback and who is calling the plays, who's designing the offense, and are they designing it with the quarterback's talents in mind? And that, that's just like a magic thing. Like there's quarterbacks. I think some people would swear by, I laugh every time a Cowboys fan talks about how, you know, Dak Prescott's really going to turn the corner and he's going to perform well in the playoffs. And I just, you know, I think I, I probably lose my lunch at that point, you know, laughing so hard. Um, but, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he was a guy for years who didn't have the right play caller. That all of a sudden, you know, you bring in and bring in a new coach and all of a sudden he's making it to the NFC title game. So it just depends, you know, who, who is your guy? You're definitely right there, right? Like the, the play caller has to match the quarterback. But also I think, yeah, you're so right. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big part of it, Scott, because how many quarterbacks are busted because they had a, a play caller who couldn't understand what their abilities were? But then also how many quarterbacks were bust just because they had a lot of skills and didn't have the abil- ability to play quarterback at the next level. It's a tough lo- – like like Mitchell Trubisky, right? Like if he had a good quarterback from the beginning, this guy had a lot of raw talent, would he have been different? Same for Justin Fields. If the, if the Texans got Justin Fields and worked with him the way that they're working with C.J. Stroud right now, would we be seeing a different Justin Fields out there? I don't know. But I tell you right now, there's not more than two quarterbacks in the NFL I'd take over CJ Stroud right now. Mahomes is one, and and I and you know we can go back and forth over a bunch of different guys that whether or not it, maybe you'd want him or not, but I, I can't think of more than two guys. And Josh Allen is is one that I, I think he's his. I, th- I like CJ Stroud's personality type, 
more than I like Josh Allen when it comes to my quarterback. I want that that humble sense of confidence that C.J. Stroud has. Of um, you know, they always talk about the Joe Montana story because I, I I did just finally get my wife to watch Draft Day the other day. But um, you know, he tells that story about Joe Montana needs to lead a drive down the field against the Bengals, and you can cut the tension with a knife. And he he looks over, he goes, "Hey, you guys see John Candy's here tonight." You know, like that's the kind of thing like I could see C.J. Stroud like. I got this. Look, hey, man, uh, Paul Wall and Bun B are here, you know, something like that, you know, whoever a Houston version of that would be. But I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like Josh Allen is, is is not that guy. I feel like he has consistently failed at the highest stages. And you could say it's the play caller. But you know what? Like, I think CJ's play calling could be better, too. And we're still seeing this level of success from him. Now, imagine if you had – uh, a guy who and maybe they will become in sync, Scott, right? Maybe as this, cause it's gotten better. I think the play calling has gotten better here in the last couple of weeks, as far as maybe mid game, late game, I'd make some adjustments on how we hold on to the ball, but you know, opening up the playbook in the beginning, in the middle of the game has been better. And we're doing less of just handing it off on first and second down and giving CJ third and longs. So we'll see slow. It could get better, but I do think there's maybe one to two quarterbacks over CJ Stroud and that's it. And I don't think, I don't think a lot of Houstonians would would call you crazy for that. No. And I I think what I like about CJ is actually not even what's happening on the field. Um, Because if you were just to stack athlete, you know, arm strength, arm talent, athleticism, there's probably a dozen quarterbacks I'd pick over CJ Stroud. Um, but I think he maniacally prepares. Like, I don't know if they, if you've watched it where they've shown like what his pregame rituals are. Yeah. And it was a little silly. Some of them, some of them were a little, the, the baseball swing with the, with the long weighted ball was interesting. The basketball, the basketball motion was a little interesting. And then he had the. He yeah, like the, Dak, the Dak Prescott thing going up. But hey, whatever the fuck you need to do to drop dimes, man. But the thing is, is that this guy is clearly studying from Monday through Saturday. I mean, it, it's clearly absolutely. Happening. It's clearly and he knows happening. that this is what his body needs to activate, right? Like he's done the research to say this drill does this, this drill does that, this warms up this. So, like, yeah, I, I'm gonna laugh because it looks silly, and it, it did look silly. But at the end of the day, he knows. I might make a throw from this slot, and if I warm it up now, I'll be able to make that throw. You can watch, and and the thing is, if you know, you watch Kyler Murray on Sunday. I am not sure there is a better athlete at quarterback in the NFL. You could argue Lamar Jackson. Uh, you could argue Jalen Hurts. I don't think there is a better athlete at quarterback. But is he a top 10 quarterback? Hell no. See, and I found myself going even worse than that. I watched that game and said, Kyler Murray is not an NFL quarterback. That's what I took out of that. But the thing is, he, like, just looking at how elusive he was, you know, that that touchdown he scored was just sick. You're just like, you had him. And you got held. Well, yeah, that that true. Yeah, that's that. But the thing is, is that, but two other guys had an opportunity to get him. And they couldn't. And so, but, you know, and that touchdown he threw was impressive. 
Um, the joke I said at the beginning was, it's just the Texans are playing so many primetime games. They're just not used to playing at noon. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I don't know. Did you see we got flexed back yes. into noon? Yes. Yes. 17 <laughs> noon games. Yes. In order, in order to have better, better nationwide coverage, we're going to flex you back to your original 12 o'clock spot. However, I think in week 13 or 14, they said that we they may flex somebody to Monday night because I think that game is like a horrible the whole thing. Like, and this we talked about this last week. We don't need to belabor the point, but why why are the Jets even on? Why the Jets should have nothing but 12 o'clock games going forward? It's like what, the, what, the what, Jets what are, are if the if the Jets could play at 9 a.m. Like, I'd, I'd prefer that. Like, right? get it out of the way early. Get this shit done. Put the Jets in London for the rest of the year. No, no, put them at 9 a.m. at the rec center. You know, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be fine. <laughs> it's so bad, man. Like, I specifically mentioned the Jets and Giants in our scumbag last week. But, like, here I am again. I go to my my in-law's house. They're, uh, my my mother-in-law is from Buffalo, so she's a Buffalo fan. And who am I watching again, Scott? The New York fucking Jets. Like, are you kidding me? I cannot well, get away. I cannot get away from this fucking team. And then on Friday, imagine you're the regular sports fan. Not us, you know, real men who play golf on a, on a good Friday. No, not Black Friday. It's not a good Friday. But imagine if you're given that choice of, do I go out shopping with the wife and kids against all those people? Or do I watch the Jets? God, that's a whole Henry story ready to be written right there. <laughs> I, uh, I I have never I have never been Black Friday shopping in my life. I've never haven't, had, haven't not, done had, it. Yeah, but you know what? If my choices were those two things, it might be time. It might be time to try it out for the first time because I am doing everything I can at this point in my life to not watch another Jets game. It's fucking terrible. And they it took them so long to bend Zach Wilson. It is finally happening. But, man, they are fucking awful to watch. Awful. And every week, every week I can't get away from them. Normally I'm a red zone guy, but, like, my in-laws don't have red zone. And, you know, my wife's uh, – my, my mother-in-law's parents are in town from Buffalo. So, of course, they're wanting to watch the Buffalo game. And it's just like – if I see those fucking Kelly green jerseys or whatever color green it is one more time, I'm done. I'm ripping the TV out of the wall. Okay, so we, we, we've, we've hit the positives, which is the Texans, which if the season were over today would actually be a wild card representative in the AFC. And if the uh, season were to be over after we beat that fucking Jaguar ass on Sunday, we'll be a we'll first be, place division winning team. That's, that's right. So moving to, you know, a, a up and down season so far uh, for your Houston Rockets. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I texted you and I said that I think we found our team's kryptonite. And that is just quite frank, frankly the road. Mm-hmm. All six of their wins have been at home. And, you know, they've lost, I think that's every game on the road. Six or, they six. Won six, or they won in six. I think they're six and six, or maybe one and six. Either way, we're we're pulling an Astros right now, but the opposite. We're six and one at home. That's right. We play more home games. Um. So, yeah, I and and we talked about it on text, and this is absolutely the right. You you said it. This is normal for a young team, 
And I think what's really disappointing is the fact that these last two years were just a waste of time. Yep. Absolute waste of time. You know, Jalen Green could have been learning real things. He wasn't. Because he was uh, fucking awful. When I'll get into that come scumbag time. But Jalen Green was a net negative against the Lakers, both but, offensively and defensively. And we're in year three. You can't be doing that anymore. Jabari Smith, obviously, last year was his rookie year. I would say the first 60 games were just a throwaway. And then at the end of the season, finally, he starts to play, you know, pretty good basketball. Uh, Sangoon, I think he was developing, but he wasn't really allowed to reach his full potential under the last coaching, you know, the coaching staff. So basically what you're doing is, is that you have three players who are core players on your team who are essentially rookies because the last two years were just an absolute waste. I think in, in Jalen Green's case, it's almost worse than a rookie because he's got bad habits. Yeah, and you've got to now true. you've got to now break these bad habits because for me, you know what? Like the Clippers game, that was a great fucking basketball game. Number one, number two, we got robbed, and we talked about how much we respect the NBA for their two minute report. And you nailed on the head, Scott, when they came out and said they missed these calls. I was still pissed, even though they admitted that they missed it. Yeah. I was still annoyed because the Rockets should have won that game, but also they didn't hit their free throws. And you know what, James Harden. I respect him. I'll never hate him because of what he did. And he hit a he hit a shot with the game on the line. That you know what? What are we gonna do? Right? He 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 stepped up in our face and hit that shot. Okay, whatever. Then you play Golden State. Played him pretty well on the road. What are you gonna do? Okay, that's not. I, those two losses, I don't mind. But the Lakers one last night was the one that you had chances to win. Um, I think I, I realistically, truly in my heart of hearts, believe we're a better basketball team than that Lakers team is. Just because they have LeBron James doesn't mean they're a better basketball team than the Rockets are. And Jalen Green's lack of defensive effort really cost the Rockets last night. But the problem is you don't have a solution, right? Like you don't – it's not like you can bench Jalen Green and play somebody else at that two spot because you invested a lot in him as your future – number you know as your future star of this team that when he's not playing well like that who do you play there you know you can go maybe Aaron Holiday and be undersized at the two you can play maybe Cam Whitmore but then you're playing another rookie in that scenario um you know there's not really a great option when when Jalen Green's deciding to give minimal effort on the court on on where to get good minutes from yeah hopefully when when Thompson gets back you know maybe he's an option at that spot um, I think, you know, you did miss the one key difference between the Lakers game here and there was they had the unibrow back. Um, and so, you but know, even that, then it's a tight game, even with him. Yeah. Um, well, and so I guess my point is though, is that I'm okay with losing these games if learning happens. Absolutely. That's, that's that's what has to happen. And the, the and what you look at and and we talked about this and and we got to keep, you know, belaboring this point. Van Vliet and Brooks are professionals. They're absolute professionals. And you look at Van Vliet, you know, both in the Golden State game and the Lakers game is dishing out more than 10 assists. I mean, that that's you, you He's want He's got your, like a 9 to 1 assist to turnover ratio right now. 
he he is playing the, the kind of point guard you want. And the thing is, is that he if these kids will pay attention, he's showing them that you show up and you play a certain level of basketball every night. Because Van Vliet doesn't score 20 points every night. He's I don't think he's capable of it. Uh, but what he is capable of is showing up and doing what he can do, which is take good care of the basketball and make good decisions with it. This um, team is dying. This team is dying for a dead eye off the bench three point shooter, a three and D two guard who could come in and give you 20, 25 minutes a game. Because, you know, what happens if if in that game last night uh, you had a guy like uh, Mike Miller to come off the bench, who is a pretty solid defender? We'll hit open threes. And you know what? Jalen doesn't have it tonight. Okay, we'll go to our backup two guard who's a 45% three-point shooter and plays good defense because or like Fred a- Van Fleet does such a good job in the pick and roll with Sengun. There's a lot of open looks for guys at the top of the key for, uh, for Sengun on that pick and roll to kick it back out. You remember we don't John- have the three-point shooting. You remember John Barry? Oh, yeah. Barry would be a nice one. John or Rick right now. I would take either one. Well, I don't know if Rick is available. Who was this? Um, no, it was John and the – we had the son. Brett, we had, Brett, Brett and John we had, were both the sons. We had both of them at different points. Uh, uh, Brent Barry, Brent Barry uh, uh, slam dunk champion. So I was about to Barry. say former slam dunk champion. But yeah, um, either one. Or, or even or, what if you had uh, like a – in our date, we had like Carlos Delfino. Or we had oh, Freddie Garcia. Yeah. Or, or Garcia was, was here yeah. for – some of those tough – Guys off the bench who can knock down threes and play good defense at the end of the game. If you had another bruiser, you could put in there with Dylan Brooks, who could could like that's at the trade deadline. The Rockets need a guy who can give you twenty to twenty five minutes of three and D play off the bench at the two guard, and and you could have someone Dylan Brooks could could be a bash brother with something like that. Well, you know, you have Oladipo's contract now. You know that you know a team could absorb it. If they, they want to get rid of, you know, you know, if they want some dead cap and if they had a long term contract for a guy that's good, but not great, you know, that would be, you know, that would be a good way to facilitate such a deal. I was going to say, Brent Berry, you're going back to slam dunk champion or we could, you know, as Snapper Jones would call it, it's the, uh, the winner of the 1997 throwdown contest. Um, I don't know if you, you ever caught him, you know, with a throwdown, but um yeah, I think I think the two guard spot is kind of a key, you know, after Jalen Green. I'm hoping Thompson can get back and play some minutes. Um, you know, and and to me, it was throwing His Whitmore, jump shot is terrible though. Yes, yes. But throwing him or Whitmore in there at least if they're willing to give effort in those moments when Green is just not doing it. You mean, I mean, he literally good? he literally moved out of the way of LeBron James coming right down the way. Like he he switches over on Reeves, gets in front of Reeves, then Reeves kicks it back out to LeBron. And this is like with two minutes left in the game, LeBron's coming full head of steam down the lane. All Jalen Green needs to do is stand there, cover his nuts, and take the fucking charge. And instead, he just olays LeBron James right to the basket. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, you just you hope that he learns. That's what you're hoping, and 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 I don't know. I don't know if he's going to. Um, he kind of reminds me of a guy that could turn into like a Devin Booker type. Um, Devin Booker is not capable of being the number one star on a championship team. 
Uh, he may even lead the Suns in scoring this year, but he's not the best player on that team. Kevin Durant's the best player on that team. They're not winning a championship unless Kevin Durant is healthy and is the best player on that team. But Devin Booker can score. Uh, and I think that's where Jalen Green is at. Jalen Green needs an alpha dog who is going to you know keep him in line but allow Jalen Green to score. And I, and I don't know if that guy's on the Rockets right now. Um, I think Van Vliet's a good leader, but I don't think he's that kind of an alpha dog. I think he's a good, very good role player, borderline all-star, not quite there. I the think- guy that needs to take that step and become that guy, because I think he's on the roster, it needs to be Sengun. Yeah. Sengun needs to realize Sengun right now needs to look in the mirror and realize I have the potential to be a top 15 player in this league and I need to do everything I can to hold my teammates accountable. Cuz you know what? Like Shaq Shaq wouldn't let that shit happen. Shaq called people out on the court. And I'm not saying Sengun is Shaq. Well, I'm not even saying he's Hakeem, but you know what? Hakeem would not let effort like that fly. Hakeem would rip you a new asshole if you didn't play defense on the court ahead of him. Yeah, the second thing I think is what you you uh, is the bugaboo with Sangoon because I think you could make a solid argument that he's a top twenty player now. I I think when you look at it, it's hard because you know he doesn't rebound like a traditional center does, but the last couple of games he's had double doubles. And he's still dishing out five, six assists a night. Um, I think if you looked at advanced metrics, like, you know, usage rates, and you looked at things like that, I think Sangoon, you can make an argument, is a top 20 player. What he isn't is that guy that's going to hold people. I, I just don't think that's in his personality right now. Maybe he develops into that. But to me, Akeem mellowed over the years. When he came out, he was an absolute hothead. But, you know, he found Islam and he found an inner peace. And that's really what propelled him, I think, to the next level. It wasn't him becoming meaner and more of a stern. It was him taking a step back from that. Now, he stood, he, he stood up in Vernon Maxwell's face when, uh, you know, when he needed to. Um, but the key thing is that Sangoon, uh, you need somebody, somebody else. This roster is missing just one guy, and I and I can't even pinpoint who that is right now. But that one guy who is a good player and can get in Green's face and sit there and say, "This is the way we play." I completely agree with you. It's not it's not there right now, but I don't know who's out there. I mean, we can see. I don't. Yeah, and I don't know if this is something you get mid season. And, and, you know, and it could be something where maybe it's just going to take some time for Van Vliet and Brooks to get through to him. Maybe they're the right guys for him. We, we don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And so we don't know what conversations are being had, you know, uh, in timeouts or in the locker room or at practice, you know, between the different guys on the team. You know, maybe they are, you know, getting in his face and saying, you know, we can't have that from you and win. You know, maybe that's happening. It's hard to say. I agree. I completely agree with you. But, Scott, even though they did lose those three games and things haven't 
taken off the way maybe we wanted to. I still think there's a lot to be thankful for, not only with this Rockets team, but but the city of Houston sports scene at all in, in in totality. You know, we look back one year ago today, and we had one legitimate sports franchise in this team and, and two laughing stocks. Where nowadays, here in 2023, going in 2024, we've got one legitimate championship contender, one team that could get hot and win a championship, and one that um, is showing a lot of promise in building a contender. So I think, you know, let's take a moment here and, and talk about some of the things that, as Houston sports fans, we have to be thankful for. I think, number one, you mentioned, you know, those three teams. I am absolutely thankful that the adults are back in the room. Um, I'm thankful that, you know, I, I I can't remember the exact date that Jack Easterby was sent walking, but it's been about a calendar year, I want to say. And, oh, you know, the, the, it's just so much different, you know, with the Texans. Um, and, and I think, you know, Nick Casario, I think a good general manager. I don't know if he's a great general manager, but, you know, when you hit on a quarterback like C.J. Stroud, that's when you start talking about, do we give this guy an extension? You know, that conversation could be had. Uh, and it wouldn't be absolutely ridiculous. Now, who do you give credit for that? Is that D'Amico Ryan's pick? I don't know. You know, maybe it is. But the point is, is that you have adults. You don't have caretakers. You don't have, you know, just, you know, the substitute teacher in there, like you felt like with David Culley. You have a real football coach. You have, you know, a real, you know, a real coaching staff. And, and this is the same thing is true with the Rockets. Uh, Doku is absolutely worlds better than what we had here before. And, and I don't know if Raphael Stone is, is the guy for the job. You know, we've, we've debated that back and forth. Maybe he isn't, but at least it seems like on game day, you have an adult sitting there on the bench who knows what he's doing and is, is putting the right guys in at the right moments. And if you do that with all three of your teams, and we've debated that about the Astros, but we have a manager we like. Now, moving forward, if you're putting the right guys on the field in the right situations, your chances of winning just go up a ton. And we've seen that this year, just this last calendar year. And I, I think that yeah, is a ton to be thankful for, just at least on my count. I think you're absolutely right. And and to add to that specifically, I'm thankful for Hannah McNair. I'm thankful that Hannah McNair got in her husband's ear and said things need to change. I'm thankful that Hannah McNair made it very well known that D'Amico Ryans was the guy and, again, got in her husband's ear and made sure that, as you said, the adults were back in the room. So, number one, I'm thankful for Hannah McNair. Number two, I'm thankful for Joe Espada. I'm thankful that, um, as as we talked about previously, that it looked like Dana Brown was able to bring in the guy that he wanted to get from the beginning, and it looks like you know there's going to be some continuity uh, with the Houston Astros. I'm thankful for that. Finally, I'm 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 thankful to be just enjoying the totality of Houston sports again. You know, I, I didn't watch NFL Sundays for the past two years. I just put on Red Zone. Uh, as, as I grew up from the moment I was able to watch basketball until we trade away Harden, I watched every Rockets game and I just, it was so awful to watch the last two years. I watched maybe 10 or 15 and got pissed off and turned them off. But just being able to watch with, um, 
interest again. These the teams that I love and and know that you know for the Texans any given Sunday we've got a chance to win. There's there's no team on the schedule that I feel like now we can't beat. Are we an underdog? Sure, but we can beat people. And with the Rockets, like hey, we're gonna play good tough defense. So let's see where the ball bounces at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's it's the feeling I have with the Astros where. I don't ever feel like the Astros aren't going to win a game. Is there some games that we don't win? Sure. But like if you buy a ticket to an Astros game in 2023 or 24 next year, there's never a game where you're like, ah, we're not going to win this one. We're playing the Padres, you know, whoever it is. We're playing the Rangers tonight. Like, no. But I guarantee you when we sucked in 2013, when you bought a ticket to the Yankees game and you're oh, this is going to get ugly. This is going to get bad. We might see a position player pitch tonight. You know, that that just doesn't exist anymore. So uh, I'm thankful for, you know, three competitive teams here in the city. And and, they, and three teams that play an entertaining brand of ball in their sport. I mean, that's really, you know, to me, the Texans, there have been teams, particularly Bill O'Brien teams, where they've been six and four, and you're like, this is a slog. You know, the Ryan Fitzpatrick year, you know, the uh, Ryan Mallett years, Hoyer. Yeah, the, the Brian Hoyer years, plural, um, name redacted 1.0, who was here for one year on that massive four-year train, who Rick, who Rick Smith had to trade a second round pick with him to get rid of him. That's how bad he was. But we're playing, whether we win or lose this Sunday, it's going to be entertaining. And in and, and professional sports, if anything, is entertainment. So let me be entertained. And Houston sports is definitely entertaining, and I'm thankful for that. I'm with you, Scott. Are you not entertained? The answer is yes, I am. But I think we're getting to that time um, of the episode here where um, there's been some some things that have happened this week. Some good, some bad, some scummy. Some that have just set you off. Who is your scumbag of the week this week, Scott? I am actually, this pains me to say this, but I am going to go with a joint scumbag. And it's going to be Dick's slash H-E-B. So as I, as I said earlier on the proceedings, you know, my dad wanted to take me out to Golf Galaxy. He wanted to, uh, you know, test out different putters and see which putter I liked. So we picked one and, he, and, then, and we left. And then they have a Dick's Warehouse where they have um, all the stuff that, you know, can't sell. I actually bought an outfit there that I'll be wearing at the Golfathon this year. It is absolutely the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. But, you know, that's kind of a competition we have out there to see who can wear the ugliest shit. So dad tries to buy a couple of shirts, pulls out a gift card that I had bought at HEB, and it hasn't been activated. So they try, you know, they they scan it a couple of times. That doesn't work. So I said, because he thinks he got it for me for birthday. It's possible he got it from us. We, I think we gave him a Dick's gift card. His birthday's in September. So he goes to HEB. You know what HEB does? You're going to have to bring the receipt. They're the ones that didn't activate it. That's supposed to be like a routine thing whenever you do, you know, do that thing. And apparently you had a cashier that didn't do it. 
So what are we going to have to do? We're going to have to rifle through some receipts that are now a couple of months old. See if we can find an HEB receipt that has a $100 gift card to Dick's. What are the odds, Tim? What are the odds? I got to say pretty slim, Scott. Pretty, pretty, pretty slim. And that's where I'll, I'll give Costco some credit there is like, you can log on the app and get your receipt. Like, I don't ever have to worry about saving that receipt from Costco. Um, maybe maybe you, you buy your gift cards from Costco from now on, but I don't know if I'm going to have too much disparagement for HUB on this podcast, Scott, because I also had a similar HUB scenario, and their customer service was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. I ordered a 20 to 25-pound turkey and uh, had it set for in-parking lot pickup. I go pick it up. I put it in the fridge. I get home. I look at it. I realize like this is like an 18 and a half pound turkey. I ordered a 20 something pound turkey. This ain't going to work. HEB replaced it with a farm fresh turkey at no additional cost. I got home. My wife is like, did you just buy a 50 fucking dollar turkey? I was like, no, I, they gave it. They gave it to me. Like, but I'm serious. They really gave me this $50 farm fresh turkey to uh, make up for their error. So, uh, and I don't know if you see here, the RC Ranch, a, a company stocked at HEB. It's the, the best jerky you could buy, Wagyu beef jerky. See, this is what you do. You got to tell her to fill it off the back of a truck. <laughs> you got to pull that up. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that, and, and here's, the, the, the thing is, and you'll get here, because your, your dad's how old? Uh, 62? 62 okay. be 63 this year, I think. So give it a good 10 or 15 years. And, and this is what's going to start happening. Uh, the filter that dad had, because he, he was a, a school administrator. So, I mean, he had to deal with a bunch of shit. The filter that he had, it's gone. Completely gone. So he'll go zero to 100 on a service person in a second. Where you're like, why are we dropping F-bombs here all of a sudden? I mean, this is just a person, you know, working here. So I can just imagine, I was not with him with this HEB encounter, so I can just imagine how that went. And he probably had an argument built up in his mind and, you know, just completely went straight into argument mode. And they're like, sir, sir, we just got this problem. We, what, what, you know, and, and I think that's where, and, and the piece of advice that I would give to people who are listening is that when you have a dispute with any kind of a vendor, company, whatever, you always have to think about what do I want? Give Tim his example. He wants a 25 pound turkey. He didn't get a 25 pound turkey. So how can you fix the problem? Well, you give him a 25 pound turkey. And what does he get out of it? He gets an even better turkey. Because I am sure, I'm guessing that you were polite and, you know, uh, and not at all, you know, acting upset when you dealt with them. And so they said, hey, this is a customer we did wrong. And this is a customer dealing with us, you know, respectfully. So we're going to do good by them. Here you go. But if you go in there, start yelling and, and, and crap, you know, you're not going to get what you want. And, and that's just, you know, that's true in just about any situation. It is. And I've, I've worked hard to be better at that because I, I frustrate easily. I really do. And my wife, 
has heard me talk to people on the phone, like customer service people on the phone. And she, like, when I hang up, she's just like, that was not okay. And she's like, hey, you know, it's, ah, you're right. But, you know, with HEB, I managed to stay calm because also I love HEB. Like, I, all I wanted, you're right. All I wanted was the size turkey that I wanted in this scenario. Um, or even back in the day, Scott, before iPhones were a thing, you used to be able to call, bitch at AT&T, and if you did it long enough, they just send you a new phone. So when you say, what do you want? What I wanted was the new BlackBerry. So I'd call and I'd say, this phone sucks. Like, I, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm going to go to Verizon. And they're like, no, you can't leave Verizon. What would it take to have you stay? Oh, well, man. Well, now that you mention it, the new BlackBerry uh, sounds pretty good. Okay. But we can send you a refurbished version. Works for me. Well, you know, what's funny. I was going to tell this story. I've lost it exactly once. Uh, so my parents got me, uh, they got me a DVD for Christmas. I can't even remember what it was, but it was a DVD I already had. So I'm walking into Best Buy. And what do you do, Tim, when you walk into Best Buy and you have a product that you want to return? You walk to customer service. Or well, no, don't they have to like, put, a little, put a little something something on it, though? Yes, and see what the person who was supposed to do me that little something something was not paying attention. He was like jarring. He wasn't even doing his job. So I, like a reasonable person, went straight to customer service. I have this DVD, need to return it. You know, either get a refund or a replacement. They accused me of stealing it. And so... And I was like, you know, we're not going to replace it. And so I'll say, okay, I'll just take it with me then. And they said, nope, you're going to have to leave that here. And it's like, so wait a minute. I come in with a DVD because this guy's not paying attention. You're going to take the DVD from me. That was my property before. And you're not going to give me a replacement. Um, and so I, I, I basically threw it at him. And then uh, uh, the security guy then started doing his job and escorted me off the premises. Um, but what's funny is, is that my parents... Why don't you tell him to check the fucking cameras? Like, hey, go look uh, at your fucking cameras right now. Watch me walk in with that DVD. Well, no. What's funny is, uh, you know, so my, I told my, my dad about it and he called them. And so they called me back and said, you know, can you come back into the store? And then, you know, they're basically being nice at this point, except for the manager who was on du- manager on duty, like, what's your problem? And it's like, well, fuck you. Uh, but I, I was able to get a replacement DVD, you know, that, you know, so, you know, the problem was eventually solved. That's the only time I've really ever lost it uh, in a customer service situation. But I was going to say, I have heard tale though. The problem with your cell phone plan is that I've heard carriers dropping people who have excessive complaints. They've actually done that before. Where they'll sit there and say, we can't satisfy you. You're no longer a customer. That would have been fine because it was my parents' cell phone plan. It wasn't even mine. I would pretend to be my dad and call up there and, uh, you know, hey, I run a business. I can't be without a phone. Okay. And, uh, yeah. All right, Tim. We, we need to pay off on your scumbag before we before we head I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but this week my scumbag is Jalen Green. You know, you, you mentioned all the stuff about – Lack of effort on offense, lack of effort on defense. His shot selection is absolutely terrible. Some games he decides he wants to play. Some games he decides he wants to just fucking walk around for 36 minutes like a like a, a grandma mall walking on a, 
on Wednesday morning and just trying to get her steps in. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like It is so frustrating to know that this team has so much potential and to see that when they're, when they're all plugged in and playing, knowing that we can take on the best teams in the league and then seeing us lose a tight game like that when our number two overall draft pick, supposed to be the star of this team, just decides to not show the fuck up. To, to Olay down the lane to let LeBron dunk because, God forbid, maybe LeBron dunks on you and, and a photographer got that picture and now there's a poster somewhere with you on it getting dunked. Who the fuck cares? Play the game. Man up. You know, these. I miss the days of when you come down the lane, you're going to catch a forearm fucking shiver. You may go to the line, but you know what, Scott? How many guys came down the lane that Robert Ory was standing in and they didn't catch a shot? Dennis Rodman, he gave you a shot. Would you get your free throws? Sure. But you earned those free throws. It's too soft, man. Jalen Green is too fucking soft, both physically and mentally. You know, and I remember a, uh, a guy coming into um, his last name was Miller. And I can't remember his first name, but he was he played for the Astros way back in the day. But I think there's a uh, there's a pitcher. No, he's a little position player. He's played back in the 70s, so you wouldn't be necessarily familiar with him. Glenn Miller, I think, but not, that, that, I don't know if that sounds familiar. But anyway, he was describing coaching like an AAU team and um, a spring ball. And the pitcher was just absolutely getting shelled and actually, you know, basically started crying and wanted to go out of the game. And he went to the mound. He's like, you're staying in here. You're, you're going to sit in here. You're going to figure it out. I'm not going to bail your ass out. And I, and I don't know if this is a KPJ problem. I don't know if this is a Raphael Stone problem or if this was, you know, a, a Cy, Steven Silas problem. But the thing is, is that he's, I don't know if this is the way he was from the very beginning or if he learned this, you know, from the wrong people. But the thing is, is that, what have we said about Fred Van Vliet? What we said about Fred Van Vliet is that there's some nights where his shot's not falling. You know what he does? He gets his butt down. He plays defense. You know what he does? He makes an extra pass to a teammate, sets them up. That's what he does. Dylan Brooks, his offensive game, he, he's not a consistent offensive force in this league. What he is, is he's a tough defender. And he knows that's something he can bring every night. And so what Jalen Green has to learn is that, yeah, there's going to be some nights you're feeling it and you can drop 30 on somebody. That's great. There's going to be some nights where you can easily drive past a guy because he's got the speed to do it. That's great. There's going to be other nights where that doesn't happen. Could be because your shot's not falling. It could be because, you know, maybe they're playing tougher defense on you or they're playing, you know, a different kind of defense where you're not able to drive past them. Okay, these things happen. But you know what you have to do is you have to figure out what is a play I can make that can help my team win. And and I don't know, Tim, maybe you have better ideas than me, but I don't know if that's just him or if that's something he's learned as a rocket that's you know coming from the wrong sources. I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. Because I think at the end of the day, Scott, if you look at the best basketball players of all time, or even the best basketball players that have come through Houston, um, when the shot's not falling, they find other ways to help the team win. 
when it was James, if look at James Harden, when James's shot wasn't falling, he would assist other players. He was great on the pick and roll, the alley-oop game, and he found a way to get to the line to try and get his shot in rhythm or just put points on the board. Because you know what? James had bad shooting nights, and he still scored 25 because he shot 15 free throws. Jalen Green does not get to the line enough, and he doesn't know how to draw fouls effective enough to do that. You look at Tracy McGrady, right? T-Mac was... Not a perfect basketball player, but you know what? His shot didn't always fall. And what did he do? He played the best defense he could play. He rebounded. He got other teammates involved. He drew double teams and kicked it back out to open people for open shots. And Jalen Green just doesn't play winning basketball. Every every good player or every effective player in the NBA has one thing that they can hang their hat on no matter what that can help a team win a basketball game. Right, We mentioned it with Dylan Brooks. If the shot's not falling, he's still going to play balls-to-the-wall effort defense. Fred Van Fleet, if the shot's not falling, he's still going to do his best to set up other players, and he's not going to turn the ball over. Sengun, shot's not falling. He's still going to do his best to initiate the offense, get other guys involved, do what he can to make winning plays, rebound, play defense. When Jalen Green's not scoring, what does he do? He stands around, and he looks like a pissed-off little bitch. When it's not flowing for Jalen Green, he doesn't make winning plays. When Jalen Green's scoring and he's feeling it, then he's willing to give that effort. But the effort has to be what you always hang your hat on. And then when the shot's flowing, that's even better. But you have to find a way to affect the game positively, even when your shot's not flowing. And even if that's just driving and kicking because you've got the speed to get past people and now you can kick it back out to a corner three. I don't know, but you have to figure out what it is that you do every single night that regardless of whether or not you're scoring the basketball, you're still helping your team win. You're absolutely right, Tim. Uh, 100% on the nose. Uh, so it looks like, you know, you, you another good episodes here in the bag. But before we do... Let's pay it off. Where can the good folks find you? I am at Tim underscore Costello 10 on X. Uh, uh, you can find the show on Facebook at the Snap Hook Podcast uh, on Facebook as well. Be sure to like us and uh, reach out to us. We had a big, big increase in listeners here uh, in the last month. So if you're one of our new uh, new to the show listeners, we're excited to have you. Uh, you know, Be sure to like the page. Give us some Give us some thoughts on, on what you enjoy about the show and what you'd like to hear us talk a little bit more about. Uh, and you can catch me at S Barzilla on threads, um, not on X anymore. Uh, but really, I, I think uh, you know, quite a few people have been coming through through our Substack. And so if you're also if you're looking to get rid of social media as a whole, we invite you. You can access our uh, all of our old episodes on Substack uh, at Thoughts from a Native Texan. Uh, and you can also read, you know, some of my thoughts there, you know, on politics and on baseball. So you can go politics or non-politics as your heart desires. Uh, and then I'm also writing for Battle Red blog as well. Well, it has been a fantastic episode. We appreciate everyone who uh, made us a part of their Thanksgiving week. Uh, everybody be safe out there. A lot to be thankful for. A lot to look forward to here with a, a wonderful holiday season coming up. And I know, Scott, I speak for both of us when I say we are thankful uh, for our for our audience and for all of our listeners. 
Absolutely. And, you know, like Tim said, you know, leave us a comment. Tell us what you like and what you don't like. And if you have any ideas for scumbags. But that's going to do it here for this Thanksgiving week episode. As always, we appreciate those of you who chose to make us a part of your week. We will see you next week on the Snapbook. Thank you for tuning in to the Snapbook and making Scott and I a part of your week. I wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and his outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snaphook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snaphook.